This is the Music Buzz Podcast. Buzz Podcast features candid discussions with and about those behind the scenes in the music business, including industry veterans representing the segments of musician, design, and live. All three Music Buzz Podcast hosts have spent their careers working with the biggest names in entertainment and have been and are still a fly on the wall. Dan Clark as the drummer for John Mellencamp's band for over 20 years and various solo projects. Hugh Sign, a world-renowned graphic artist for the biggest names in music and the corporate world. Andy Wilson, an award-winning marketing and public relations executive with over 20 years of combined multi-level entertainment industry experience in the music and sports business. Now let's buzz. Hello and welcome back to the Music Buzz podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts, Andy Wilson. I'm joined today also by Dane Clark. Hey, Dane. Hey, Andy. How are you doing today? Great. Always good to see you. As well as Hugh Syme. How's it going, Hugh? It's going well, thank you, Andrew. How are you doing? I'm good, thanks. Today we're joined by Josh Kennedy. We're going to dig in with really what I think, personally, is one of the best rock albums released so far in 2022. We're talking about Josh Kennedy of the rock band The Black Moods. He's the vocalist and guitar player. The past 10 years, the band has released four stellar, straightforward rock albums, including 2020 Sunshine and the latest album, Into the Night. The Black Moods were born in the Arizona desert and reared on stages across North America to deliver a fresh, fiery update of a timeless sound. So welcome to the Music Buzz podcast, Josh Kennedy. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man. Great to talk to you today, buddy. Nice to see you guys. This is awesome. (laughs) You know, the Black Moods have some things in common with myself and namely the Bob and Tom show. Before joining the John Mellencamp band in 96, I was the primary drummer that played in the Bob and Tom Almost All-Star Band for 13 or 14 years. Yeah, I played on Blow Me a Kiss, Norfolk and Way, you know, Toast by Haywood Banks, dozens of those things. And my band, the, the Dane Clark Band, played on the live on the Bob and Tom show a couple weeks after one of the Black Moods appearances in 2019, the summer of 2019, I think. And man, I got to say, I was terrified that I'd have to top the spur-of-the-moment classic windbag. <laughs> <laughs> or smack Tom that you guys did on there. Yeah, <laughs> That was some funny stuff, man. Mm-hmm. And I got to say, our engineer, I'm shouting out to him today, Eddie Hazel, because he made us sound great on that show, and he made you guys sound great, too. And that's really where I first became aware of you guys was on that show. And then just a couple of weeks later, we opened... Well, we were the first band, then you guys, then the Gin Blossoms at the Sweetwater Pavilion in Fort Wayne back in 2019. Wait, you were there? Yeah, man. And uh, Dane Clark Band was there. And you sounded great that night. You guys were great. And you sounded great live, great in the Bob and Tom studio, and sure as hell sound great on uh, Into the Night. What a cool record. Yeah, thank you very much. I think, I think we all kind of took a dive into that today, and I kind of I want to start with that if we can. Just I want to talk about, mm-hmm. I was just really impressed, man. All the songs are good. Youth is wasted on the young. What a <laughs> way to smack the record off, you know? Yeah, nice, no fast-paced rocker, really cool tune. Hollywood, I think it might be everybody's favorite yeah. song. Well, I think I think the reality is the, the lyrics on that, the, the song's super cool and rockin' song, 
but those lyrics are so damn true for and all of us have been in those situations in hollywood and that, the first time yeah. i heard it i was like ouch yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know don't name names though that's why you don't you know well, that's good that's right. always good well and great production you know and other than the words the melody is great too you guys it's one of your strong points i think especially on this record and she gets out the dynamics are really dramatic yep and it's another memorable melody on the chorus like i would say you know a power pop black moods classic if i may say yeah, so much. uh very cool this good record man everybody needs to get this thing big time it's another real easy to grab onto hook it's really i think the catchiest song on the record I mean, it had me right off the bat. It's like, I know that's going to come back around. And I'm going to sing along with that, which is what you aim for. I love the bridge in that one. And it kind of reminds me a little bit of Big Star. I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm being a, you know, being a fan of that band. Absolutely. I love that. I even heard a little bit of Tonic in there occasionally, which is another oh, yeah. great band. I'm curious to know, do you write all the lyrics, Josh? You know, um, we have some, like the past couple records, I've done the majority of it. Yeah. Since we recorded this, you know, during that, covid time you know mm. we were all together so a lot of these songs i didn't have a chance we were, we came right off of touring we were out on the road when we got called off the road and we mm. just packed our studio and moved to the ozarks where we tracked the whole record i had bits and pieces but really there were no songs i can even think of right now off the top that i had top to bottom so we all it was really nice that we all four had to sit around and be frustrated and write those things my favorite from what I heard today, because I did my first deep dive into the new album, um, was Gotta Wake Up With An Alibi. What a great line. Oh, yeah, yeah that, that was me. But yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's great. Is that from, that's from true experience, I would yeah. say. <laughs> true, but it, I think it kind of goes all the way around. I think everybody has had that at some oh, point. Oh, sure. Yeah. That's right. a universal uh, theme for sure. There is some lyrics in here I thought maybe my oldest son wrote where it says, You don't like the way I spend my time like the way we live our lives you always let me know it's on your dime and you act like being young is a crime and that sounds yeah. like something my son would write that was up. and that was a group effort too because we just sat there uh because you know you can you know we're obviously adults and but we talked about what was going on and how mm. you know every, everybody's on the left so far or on the right so far at the time during that whole covid thing and uh, and so we just thought we'd write it uh, how we were feeling from like a younger, like a, you know, a kid's perspective that was, you know, getting allowance or whatever. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I thought it was, I, I think it's brilliant. I love it. It's like, oh, this spot on too. I think that's the thing that's resonated with me. And it's like, as I've thought a little bit more about it and I connected with your publicist about talking to you guys, we love to talk to a lot of different people on this podcast, but I was like, these guys are kind of delivering what we as, as fans of classic rock love. You know what I mean? It's like, a good story, um, just really great lyrics, but also really poignant stuff too. That's like, man, that really, that the Hollywood lyrics are so spot on. We've been in those situations where you're in Hollywood, you're at the marquee or you're wherever having a meeting and all the important people are around and you walk out of the meeting like, damn, I really hit a home run. And then you never hear from them again. <laughs> you know? yeah. So, you know, I think those relatable things hurt a little bit, but that's what makes them so great. Cause it's like, Oh, this is, this is real stuff by people that know what they're talking There's about. There's a line in there too, to, uh, uh, we would go cause us, me, Jordan and Chico and I are always together. We're locked at the hips. So one of the few remaining bands left that aren't, brothers that didn't live and grow up in the same house you know 
Mm-hmm. We're together in the studio all the time or we're on the bus all the time or when we get back off tour, we all go to the same place and grab a drink. You know, it's it's this, yeah. that togetherness. And so when we'd go to L.A., I would run into some friends that I had met there in the past when I was living out there and just kind of going to auditions and stuff because you always see the same guys to audition. Yeah, right. Mm. Guys in a line. Oh. And so you get to know these cats. But when you get the audition, some I remember calling the guy that I got auditioned for, and I was like, hey, I'm in town. We want to hang it. And I said, let's hang it. He says, uh, hey, I'm going to this great after party. I'm like, well, cool. You know, the, me and the guys are in town, and it's an after party. He's like, yeah, but you can't invite, you can't bring your friends. So there's a line uh, there. Right, right. Yeah, that's a great line. Friends, you know? Oh, yeah. <laughs> that kind of thing, that rings true to us. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you can tell. I mean, I think that's the thing. And truth, truth. Truthful lyrics are the best lyrics, right? So, I mean, at the end of the day, it's you, Honestly, know, that's, yeah. you can tell you guys are wearing that on your sleeve, and that comes from experience. And that's How long did you live there, Josh? I was there for about a year straight, and then I came back to Phoenix to play a gig. And the summers are just so beautiful here, I had to come back. No, I'm, that's a joke. It's hot as hell. <laughs> yeah, no it's kidding. about hot as it is here. Yeah. I mean, it's right like now. days 114 or something yeah. like that. Mm. You took your breakfast on the sidewalk, you know. Um I came back here, so I was—I'd say, off and on for about five years, something like that. Yeah, tainted, right? Long enough to no, know it only takes me a good three days there, and I'm ready to go. I'm ready to leave after that. You know? mm. Yeah. Before we stop talking about the record, I think it really shows, and you guys were very lucky because you're about the only musician I've talked to during lockdown that had a chance to be together and record. I did a record called Songs from Isolation with all my buddies that had studios. And so we were fortunate enough to make records, but we were scared that, you know, my kids were six feet away from me during that time period. So I think it really shows on your record that you were together. You know, I mean, it sounds like, you know, it's three guys that it, it doesn't sound like everybody phoned their parts in, which people can do and make sound real and you can fool people. I did. We were lucky. Well, and like I said, we were on the road. Yeah. We were on the road. And so we were together in a bus. And we had no idea that was all going down anyway. So when we got here, we we're like, well, we've been together. We were just with a big group of people. So we got to isolate together anyway. So we just sat here in the studio and made a record. What are you going to do, Jam? Well, we j- we sat here in the studio and kind of paced around, watched a lot of Seinfeld and rock documentaries, you know, and and then uh, we knew eventually when we come out of this, there's there was no, nothing open. You, you couldn't go to the hangouts that we'd go to, the clubs or the, or the restaurants or anything like that, or play a show. So we, we just kind of said, well, let's just pack it up because I'm from, I'm from Missouri. Where at Missouri? Uh, it's a little town right in the southwest corner. We're between Springfield and Joplin. Okay. My daughter lives in Jefferson City, so. Yeah, we're about, it's about two and a half hours south of there. Okay. Uh, it's a town of 600 people. So there was social distancing since the 30s. You know, there was oh, like, sure. <laughs> there's not a lot of people there that nobody gets out. So, and our, uh, the head of our label has a house back there, a, a nice size house where everybody can have their own room. So I hit him up and I said, well, what would you think about us packing our stick? Because, you know, Table, Table Rock Lake is close to there and there's okay, a bunch yeah. of creeks and all that stuff you can go to. You can still go and enjoy. And it's also 120 degrees in Phoenix. So it's really like, that's right. Good. Yeah, right. yeah. Right. Sure. So yeah. We got down there and he was felt kind of bad because he was nice. And I said, hey, can we come back there? So we, there's stuff to do and we're not in the heat all summer. And we just and we record in your basement. And he was like, sure. Knowing damn well the whole time, I'm like, 
okay, that big room upstairs, we could take all the furniture out and set the drums there. We can mics really high, you know, and we could put my guitar amps in his office, but he thought we were just going to take over the basement. Oh. And so when we get there, he said, so uh, how do you guys want to set up down there? And I, <laughs> and I was like, maybe you should have a shot. Down but, where? Yeah. <laughs> how about yeah. up here? Yeah. So we did everything. They let us, uh, so like for three, three months, from August until October, we were out there working on this record and we had uh, this huge house. So the bass amp when it was in Jordan, or was in uh, his wife's purse closet. And God, sure. in his office, we were doing vocals downstairs. You know, uh, the drums were in the foyer, really high ceilings and stuff. So we just, they had cables. They, uh, bless them. They, they let us do it and it came out really well, you know. Yeah. So time frame wise, that was during 2020 that was recorded. Yeah, that was what, whenever everything shut down in March. Yeah. We wound up packing up and our last day in Phoenix okay. was, I think, uh, early June, late okay. May got it whatever that year was they all kind of run together just now it still feels like it was just 2015 or whatever i know i know well man. so the 2020 album when did that come out that came out during the yeah sunshine came out in may right yeah yeah, yeah. okay yep. and that was that was like a big you know kick in the nuts because a lot of people were deciding not to put out records and we've right. been working on that record for two years because we were torn so much we did it in between it wasn't like we did it all in a row. So we would be out on the road for two months and we'd get two weeks off and we didn't take them off. We went right to the studio and our producer, Johnny K, who was in Chicago, yeah, would come down and we'd spend two weeks and we'd track three songs or four songs, go back out on the road for another two months, come back, record four songs. You know, that it, it was, hmm. so this is the first record we got to record sitting in one place for three or four months. Right. Hmm. As a band, you play it all in one sitting? Uh, when we were tracking it? Yeah. No, you know, because we didn't have, we just, we went in there with just a couple songs that we had done here at our studio right. in TP. Right. So we got there and Johnny K who produced it again came down and he stayed with us too. And so we kind of had, when he came down, we had, I don't know, probably 14 ideas of two right. and then let him kind of pick through them. And then we would, we just went at it, you know? Hmm. And what was really cool about that uh, same session before Johnny came down, when we were getting the house set up, uh, I'm good friends with Eddie Kramer. You know, mm, I know yeah. Eddie. Uh, he's so he's such a good dude. And so we, we him and I had been talking years because uh, I met him when I was out in L.A. working, doing some session stuff. And he's he was always talking to me about doing a song together. And since COVID hit, I, I mentioned it to him, and I I called him. I said we're setting up in this house. We need some help. You know, you want to give us a little guidance. So he wound up, do, we wound up doing a song with him. And so he kind of guided us through everything. So that was kind of the first attack of getting to do, getting produced without the producer being there and doing it, you know, like we're doing right now. Well, it's interesting because it, during 2020, so, you know, like, like Pearl Jam put out a new record around that time. And a lot of bands, like you mentioned, didn't. But it's, I actually came across, I had heard you guys before, I think through Bob and Tom's show and just other things. But that song that you released, I think it's the uh, home song, it ended up being like in uh, Apple's, um, you know, uh, Apple iTunes or whatever the heck it's called, Apple Music, as a new song, like all summer. And so it was almost like because bands weren't releasing new music, those that did, your songs actually lived out in the new music category longer than they do now. Whereas now, every week, Apple Music updates their new music and it's gone next week. 
But that song lived, I don't know if you even know this, that song was like one of the new rock songs that, and it was up there for months. When you're a, a band in the 70s and 80s, you're front racked in Tower Records for a few minutes and then you go back to the bins. That's equivalent to that. It's like having your cardboard cut out there for a week. And right. And it's gone, yeah. Right. Well, there just wasn't a lot of new music coming out, you know what I mean, at, at the time. So it's kind of like, I'll just leave those in there, I guess. It was up in the Air Force because we... Like I said, you know, a bunch of big artists waited and didn't put the record out. But we'd worked so hard on it for so long. We just, you know, we it was just let's get it out and see what happens. It can go either way, and it, you know, it did all right. It was like it had our highest charting singles that we've had on anything. You know, Sunshine went up to sixteen, and and we did like a virtual concert release thing, which was it, it came out great, but. Yeah in the midst of it you know how weird that is to not have a you know it's it's just kind of it was awkward because there was nobody you know after every song our engineer once in a while would uh, just turn up the cricket track mm -hmm. yeah yeah <laughs> chirp chirp yeah. chirp yeah yeah right that's pretty funny so it's it, the energy you know you get back and forth from the audience oh yeah, yeah. Well, it sounds like you guys made good use of that time I and mean, putting that out and then being able to move on to be creative on the new record that you have put out now. I mean, sounds like you made the right move. And this new record's fantastic, so you guys have a lot to be proud of. I have a technical question to ask you, because when I was watching you on the YouTube track, first of all, there's great vocals. Your lead vocals are stunning. When you record albums, are you doing all the backgrounds? Are you working with the other members of the band sing? Yeah, I do. I do a lot of it, uh, but she, uh, Jordan, because he does everything live. Mm -hmm. Some, you know, when I have ideas, because I, I, I can hear it in my head already, so it's just quicker and easier, and I can just buzz through it. Yeah. But then other, you know, he's got ideas too, and he's got a much higher voice than I've got, so that helps. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't have much of one, so. <laughs> the other question I had was. When you play a lead live, I mean, I, I, I was hearing rhythm in the, uh, do you loop when you're working live or? No, you know, I kind of, that's one thing that, because my, I grew up with, and my dad's band was an early on, they were a three piece. And so I saw that and uh, I, their guitar player somehow made it full when he was just playing solo. So when I saw, uh, how the West was won and well, actually song remains the same was the first yeah. When I saw that, I just watched it over and over again. And I was just blown away of how of the space, it, yeah. the way that Paige did the albums, yeah. fill in the gaps. It wasn't necessarily, there wasn't a rhythm guitar play, a rhythm guitar going the whole time through. And, and, then this, and then the lead guitar player, he would, he would play the, he would play his parts and then yeah. fill in the gaps. And so, yeah. I just thought that was an art in itself. It is an yeah. art in itself. It yeah. is where you can do that, and and so when uh, when because we were four piece for a while too, and like when we were kids, yeah, our singing, you know how you know how that shit goes. But um, we uh, uh, whenever I started playing and it had to, and having to sing too, it was just I I love that try and duplicate not not yep. replicate or not make it the same as it was on the record, but yeah. fill in those gaps and. And make turn three guitars into one, and yeah, yeah. those cool highlighted spots to where you know it's 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 different because I don't like it when I I don't I don't want it to sound just like the album whenever it's live. Sure. What other other trios do you listen to or admire 
that hold it together like you're talking about well the way we do it you know because we it's just us three we don't we don't play the tracks or anything and it's not nothing against bands that do no no we actually tried it one time with just like percussion and stuff and yeah. it was just it, droning for me i'm like ah, i i feel like i didn't have room to move you know so yeah I, yeah, yeah. But bands like uh, uh the james gang yeah oh, yeah man they were great well so well my question would be this then when you work up these songs to play them live do you work up and then play once you've worked out your parts say okay here's the hybrid that i've come up with do you do it the same way every night yes and no because it's, i always look at it as the least path of resistance yeah so it depends on where i'm at and where i find myself on stage because once we start playing it's just you know kind of look at each other and like here we go because it's just us three we got to cover a lot of space yeah right so yeah i change it up i think it's and that's cool there's some solos i'm getting but like because i have a problem with that when we're playing in the studio because our producer will be like oh you know double that and i'm like uh, i don't remember what i did and then it takes me longer to sit there and play it back and remember that kind of thing so i'm right. getting better at that i hope <laughs> <laughs> i've studios where where guitar players are uh notably alex from rush i mean i would watch him completely change up every pass and they would there would be great pieces for every every time he did the recording but he would do it like 13 times and he would come back in and comp through it yeah well terry brown was kind of making notes and so i like that you know so he would realize already which faders to put up and he would kind of comp the solo for alex when we came when, when he would come back in the studio and he was really from the hip when he played you know he's just you are blowing my mind right now what's interesting is he'll say that sounds great now i gotta fucking learn it and those were the words that right. mm. i'll never forget because it, it occurred to me that with all that brilliant off the cuff kind of impromptu playing yeah it came from that individual whose style can be replicated but when you do knit those things together and it becomes the composite solo then he has to go away too and right. His own tracks. Speaking of the trio stuff, I remember one time Billy Gibbons said something to the effect of, you know, there's just no margin for error when it comes to, you know, being a trio. And it's interesting because yep. when you think about like Rush or The Police or Cream, the yep. thing is, uh, as a listener, you're always like, gosh, it seems like every time you listen to bands like that, you're in the room with somebody else and you say, like, gosh, I can't believe that sound's coming out of three dudes only, you know. But it really makes you wonder that when you guys are in a like in your case, a trio, the pressure to make sure you're almost, you know, not overdoing it, but, you know, not and not making up for somebody missing, but like you're overcompensating in some way without even realizing it. And, and you just become completely different in that regard. It's, it's interesting to me that most of the time you don't sit around and, and talk about a four piece the same way you do a three piece. You have some really interestingly either very well selected or very well um, curated covers. I mean, medicine is, is just as a, as a nice illustration is lovely. The uh, primitive kind of almost childlike look of sunshine is, is lovely. Bad News has a great vibe. Belladonna's like straight out of the, the deco era. You know, it feels like, you know, it feels like one of those silk screens or paintings from the deco area. Who in your band takes the keen interest in how you look? Well, we all do. Like I, I was showing you that that uh, medicine record, right? So that we had our our uh, tattoo yeah. artist who's amazing. When we came up with the idea, we we're like, "Oh man, you know, music's the medicine." We're like, 
we have been so hungover before some shows and Chico, my drummer's always like, just play, it'll go away. Music's the medicine. He's always right. You know, we can, you know, I've gotten through a lot of shows with flute, like sick, you know, but, um, and so when she she, when we came up with the concept, we, I wanted it to look like uh, one of those old, you know, Madison how they shows. used to sell those elixirs out of the back. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the all-fixing the all fixing elixir type thing. But something as specific as Belladonna has, it has a real style to it. Did you stumble over a painting from the 30s that you liked and you... No, I, I had told uh, Sid Rhea is, is who, cre who designs all our stuff like that. And she's just, she's amazing. And I, I was just spit the idea out of something. Uh, I was listening big. I was really paying attention. Uh, I went down the wormhole of uh, the panic broadcast, you know, from 38 yeah. Orson Welles thing, oh, yeah. uh, you know, everybody freaked out. And so I just, I was, we were going back and forth about that kind of style and she sent me that <laughs> I was blown away. Me, me and the guys were like, we were freaked out. It's just the how much as a consumer yourself, as you were coming up, you know, just paying attention to music as you're growing into who you are now, how much did shelf appeal matter to you? How much were you drawn to an album for its look? I was looking forward to that as much as I was the tunes sometimes, you know, it's, that was really important to me. And I, and I, I remember being disappointed getting, getting the record or getting the CD and, and one that you open up and that's it. You know, I want it to open and open and open and, and all that kind of thing. So when we were doing our records, that's, that was a lot. I had that a lot in mind because, at, you know, and just sometimes the simplicity um, of kind of what we did with the latest record, Into the Night, because we haven't had a record with us on the cover, you know, and our producer's like, you know, maybe you should do one of those. Just be, you know, yeah. why you can do it. <laughs> and <laughs> what was he trying to say? <laughs> uh, and then, uh, and, uh, but as far as Sunshine, we came up with the concept. And me and it's, like I said, me and the guys and I are always together. So this is always bouncing off each other. So we're, we're pretty at home with doing that. But I was, I was wanting something with, that was like, uh, Wizard of Oz, because I have a weird tornado obsession growing up in the Southwest, you know, where there's tornado warnings more than there's, you know, sunshine, usually. And you're just like, ah, and it's so funny. People come visit, they don't understand yeah. that they're, <laughs> they're making shit work. So, uh, but we wanted that cross with like Alice in Wonderland yeah. and this kind of a. It has a really you know, almost intentional, primitive kind of scissor cut and paste vibe to it, which, which is also another step away. I mean, you could have gone really illustrative, like like Yellow Brick Road or, you know, you could have gone. Well, we had those two ideas with a little hint of serial okay. killer mm -hmm. with the cutout letters, you know, and that yeah. kind of thing. Even, even your new album with the black, red, and white that's very graphic and really cool looking. You know, it harkens back, even the lettering harkens back to, you know, the Fillmore East days. Even the word mood looks very familiar to the word moody from the Moody Blues. You know, it, it's got that that kind of acid rock vibe to it. It looks great. That's a good cover. Yeah, it is cool. We wanted it very throwback because we felt like on this record, the way we did record it was a little looser than, you know, because we had fun. We were just hanging out in that house. And, uh, you know, there's a song mm -hmm. on there called Junk Excuses. That good song. Of Rolling Stones, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's, that's what I like about it. It's funny you mentioned the you know, first record with you guys on the cover and we... You know, we've kind of debated that with with various people on the on the podcast here, but I think what what it does is, and this being your fourth record, it actually brings some personality out. You know, because we live in this time where 
the most famous rock stars for the most part are guys that have been doing it for 30, 40 years, you know, and everybody knows their household names. And I think, interestingly enough, it brings out, to me, it shows the band's personality and also by showing the band, it's almost like, I was, you know, keep it simple, stupid is always a great line, right? When you're explaining something to somebody. Yeah. And I think that, uh, you know, in this case, because of the type of music and you haven't done it before, I think it kind of has been a good, a good move by you guys. So I got to say one thing, one more song on the record that I want to talk about. Man, your bass player on uh, the shuffle leading me on. It kind of sounds like a cleaned up yeah. a '70s Alice Cooper band. But man, that's a furious track. He must have been real happy to get all those like in twistle, you know, bass solo. <laughs> get out of my way, boys! I'm taking over the bass. You know, it's that's bass talk right there. <laughs> Come on. When we were, work we were working on that, our drummer. Uh, because Chico's really he's, he's a good tight, player, yeah. He's, he's and so so the Keith. I wanted more of the Keith Moon aspect. I'm like, you got to be washy and like, let's take your hi hat away. And you know, it's a. Uh, I mean, we kept it, of course, but uh, those breaks in there lyrically too is because Johnny K brought a lot of that in there. Where you know, to have that to where it's like, yeah, that's what it reminded like me. My of, generation, yeah. yeah, and in the bass solo, so that was definitely. Yeah. Oh, it's, that's a fun one. Yeah, everybody needs to check that out. And you were talking about the responsibility of three people trying to fill that much space. Your bass player has got that covered. I mean, he's very solid, but he's, he's also solid. in the same way that Tony Levin impresses me with his fills because he's he's sort of invisible, but he's brilliant. You know what I mean? Your bass player has a lot of that kind of. His movements, you know, even Tal Wilkenfeld does it too, and there's a similarity there. Well, he's smart enough to know. I mean, he's a great musician, so he's smart enough to know. You know, it's not about keeping busy the whole time. Yeah, it's about holding it down and waiting for that one spot to stick out, and then that's like that's the memorable moment. Because if you're doing it all the yeah. time, who gives a shit? <laughs> Some of your sound, obviously, coming from Arizona. Can you talk a little bit about kind of? You know, I mean, most rock bands that you're talking about don't come from Arizona. Although we talked to Robin Wilson from. Uh, Jen Blossoms not too long ago. I guess he's from there. But. Yeah, Rob's a really good friend of mine. Actually, I uh, when I was a little kid, I was, I was probably thirteen, and I think they played the American Music Awards. And I'm in my room, and I I was just learning to play guitar, and it just took me over. So that's all I was doing. But I'm in there playing cocaine for like eighteen hours straight, driving my mother nuts, you know. And so my dad, those guys came on. My dad was watching the awards show, and he, he hollered at me. He's like, "Bub, come in here and check this out." So they're playing "Hey Jealousy." And uh, he was just, he really got, my dad's the one that got into my head. He's like, listen to this band. He's like, this is a great song. These are good songs. If you get yeah. this record, you could write songs like this. But I never really thought, I mean, I wrote, I was, you know, I started to get into it, but I never really dove in because everything seemed so out of my reach. And the guys, Jim Blossoms brought it down to like that jangly, like just basic rock and with awesome lyrics. And, and so Years go by, and the band that I had, you know, my high school band, we covered all the Blossom songs, and uh, I wound up finding a school out here in Tempe, Arizona, a recording school, Conservatory of Recording Arts and Sciences, and so uh, before I'd left, I'd met Robin when he was in his other band, the Gas Giants, after the Jim Blossoms broke up, and they were playing a little club in Springfield when I was like 17, and I wound up sticking around after the show because I wanted to meet him because I was just a huge fan. And he was inside this glass door smoking a cigarette. It's kind of a long story. Sitting there smoking a cigarette. And I was so bummed I didn't get to meet him. And I was so happy to see him. I opened up the door and I said, I'm so sorry to bother you. 
I just had to tell you, you're amazing. And I think you're just the best. And he's like, he, you know, did one of those since I'm like, Oh God. Yeah. And I had a really cute girl with me. So he's like, Oh, I said, he's like, I said, can I, you know, we come out there and he sees her. So he's like, sure. So he's talking to us and my whole band comes around and we kind of talked for a bit. And then my friend says, uh, you want to go get stoned? And he said, <laughs> yes. So we got him in our band van and he's telling us to go, He's like, you know, you just need to go to school, go to college, yeah. don't get in the music business. And we weren't going to listen to him at all. But we gave him, I remember we gave him our demo tape, which he probably threw in the trash when he left. Flash forward a few years and I'm, I come out here to Tempe and I run into him where he was playing acoustic. And he told me to come intern at his studio if I, you know, if I was interested because I told him I was going to school. And uh, I didn't know how to get a hold of him after that. And 10, 10 weeks went by and I was leaving for Nashville and there was a flyer up at school. It said wanted conservatory student from uh, from Missouri. Wow. Smoky ah. Man Choir. <laughs> wow. All the guys in my class at school oh, yeah. knew I was a Jim Blossoms geek. And I, I figured, because this was my last day of school, and I was moving to Nashville three days later. And so I called my dad, and I said, I think <laughs> these guys are messing with me because it says, you know, Smoky Man Required kid from Missouri, and it leaves his phone number. So what I did, dad's right. like, who gives a shit? Call it, you know? So I picked the flyer and I remember that Robin Wilson hand wrote the lyrics and the new miserable experience album. So I did my <laughs> forensic nice. files investigation and, and I compared the handwriting in that, in that record to the flyer and it matched. I call it and Robin answers and he says, Hey, uh, now the kid I'm looking for is from Missouri, blah, blah. I was like, yes, it's me. I got you stoned in my van and you hit on my girlfriend. And he's like, Josh, I've been looking for you, man. And I was like, nice. Wow, that's great. Also, when I was 13, I'd said I was going to play guitar for him. That was my main thing. My main thing. I went out going out pecking for him and, uh-huh. and running their studio. And then, and then my 21st birthday, I went to hand the guitar off to Scotty, the guitar player, in front of thousands of people. And he wouldn't take it. And I'm like, take this thing. You know, and I'm getting stressed out. And I look up. And he's like, everybody's like, happy birthday. So I got to play guitar for the Jim Blossoms on my 21st. Oh, nice. Nice. That's great. Very cool. Very cool. And then years later, we are torn with them, you know, and, and, you know, if it wasn't for those guys, I wouldn't be here talking to you. Oh, I had no idea point. about that. Wow, that's great, yeah. man. I thought I was mentioning Yeah, it's still makes my hair stand up because I'm like, how did a 13-year-old mm-hmm. kid from a town of 600 people, you know, we didn't have any right. stoplights. We had right. eight churches, <laughs> but no stoplights. That's fantastic. Being in the right place at the right time, man, and having the skills to back it up, you yeah. know? Yeah. Oh, well, and I had I had no qualms about just like if you don't you don't say something right. you never know. I'd rather hear you know be told no than to never yeah. know what the hell they were going to say to me. So. That's a great story. I had no idea. That's it really cool. is. Yeah. You still have that pamphlet or that flyer? Yeah, I do. I think my mom's got it back at her house, and it's always because a friend of mine uh, who's now a really good friend of mine. I, we barely knew each other, but he was a big fan of the Blossoms, right. so I'd see him at all the shows back then. And he uh, later on, like years couple years after the, my 21st birthday when i first played with him he showed up and he had a picture framed from that from that exactly you know my 21st birthday very cool got to play with him, so. so what other rock and roll heroes have you run into out on the road oh man we just uh robbie krieger just came through the other day again we got to tour with him uh for a little while when they he did the doors mm-hmm. 50th anniversary uh his son sings with him mm-hmm. he's a great dude Waylon is his name and he uh he was sick and uh, we were in Flagstaff and I'm at the merch booth signing stuff. And my drummer comes up to me and he's like, Hey, I need you to come backstage. And I'm like, Oh, you know, busy. I'm talking to people. He's like, no, seriously, come backstage. They need you to sing. And, and of course I was like, 
you know, Flintstone <laughs> feet out of that. Like, well, yeah. I went back there, and he's like, man, my throat is gone. Can you get up and do a couple songs? And I'm like, uh, yeah. And I was just immediately just nerves. And so I got on stage, and I, I met Robbie just briefly before or when we got there for Soundcheck. And when I got up there, he was so kind, and he's like, jo- real soft-spoken on stage. He says, Joshua, would you like a guitar, too? And I'm like, <laughs> no, you do that. I'm going to just try and struggle remembering these words. So uh, we did Roadhouse, and that, that was just like – and and now I'm close oh, with those wow. guys too, and because we got our name from the Doors, and I was uh, I was obsessed with that movie, you know, and that yeah. whole thing growing up. So I read every Doors book sure. and all, you know all the ins and outs. That was that was one that sticks yeah. with me. Wow. I met him a few years ago. He was I booked him on a, in Kokomo, Indiana. Um, booked him up there, and it was oh great. really it was really great to meet him. But you're right, he was super soft, almost like strangely soft spoken. There's like you know you had to kind of lean in a little bit. To hear him, to hear what he was saying. Yeah, and it blows my mind. He's the first song he ever wrote when he was like twenty years Light old. By fire. Yeah, yeah, yeah right. <laughs> yeah. Hey, his autobiography is great. I just I read that I a few read months that. ago. It's really good. What's the first big band you saw live? The first big band, you know, other than my dad's band, because I used to go to their their shows all the time when I was a little kid. But uh, Alabama, actually. Really? Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh wow. I was a huge Alabama fan. This is before. I mean, I. Uh, Wayne's World came out. So once Wayne's World came out, and I found out who Jimi Hendrix was, uh, everything my changed. life changed. It changed yeah. everything. Yeah, yeah. When I, when Fox when Garth doing Foxy Lady to Jukebox, mm-hmm. I just was like, yeah. "What is what is happening?" Right now? <laughs> no more Alabama records after right, that, right? right. <laughs> bye bye. See you yeah. later. Nice knowing you, but yeah. yeah. But uh, but it was funny that shit because I would think I was probably like seven or six. So say, where, where did you see Alabama at? Do you remember? Uh, they were playing in Lampy, Missouri, which okay. is now called Black Oak. Oh, Black Oak Amphitheater. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. My mom was taking me, and she told me that we were going to Branson. Because we were like, we were two hours from Branson. So we were going to go to Whitewater or some, you know, something there. So I brought, like, all of my Alabama cassettes, which were the whole collection. Right. To listen to on the way. So my mom was just like about an hour and a half into the drive she couldn't take listening to alabama th- for three hours and then also listening to alabama for <laughs> going to see well it. that's understandable yeah. yeah she finally broke down and told me she's like bub we're gonna go see alabama and i was like a garfield in the window of that car after that, so. <laughs> yeah well they were so huge during those years I they were huge yeah they were big bad kenny, kenny rogers I, I went and saw kenny rogers when i was younger at the indiana state fair and my wife and i were talking about this the other night and i i don't have this i wish i still did but i got a button that night that said i spent the night with kenny rogers which is super, <laughs> super creepy man. wow <laughs> Really? Yeah, I was like, man, I wish I still had that button. <laughs> yeah, right. I'd totally wear it now just because. Oh, that's fabulous. People yeah, I wish buttons. I had one, too. <laughs> What's funny about the Alabama thing, too, because my mom and my aunt at the time, uh, the lady that was with my uncle, but I think they were just, they weren't married or anything. But it just those two took me to the show. And afterwards, I was, I wouldn't let them leave. So I'm standing there and I'm like, maybe they'll come back out. You know, I had no idea what was going to go on because I pictured them doing like my dad band does it's like yeah. after the show they wait a little bit then they come and break their own gear down sure you know? of course yeah yeah talk <laughs> yeah. to everybody have a few these beers, other yeah. fellows come and break the gear down and here i am with my mom who's beautiful and her and her my aunt who's just as beautiful you know they're just beautiful ladies and i'm and this little kid that has no idea what's going on and i remember these guys coming up and talking to mom and, and jackie and saying 
anytime, you know, here, here's our numbers. You know, if you guys want to come back to the show, we'll take care of it. And so we get back home later on. And my dad, he's like, how, how was the concert? And I was like, oh, it was so awesome. I said, we sat there and these, these two guys came up and talked to mom and Jackie. And they said we could come backstage. And, the, and my dad's just getting beat red. And he's like, because he knows what was going oh, on. Sure, of course he does. <laughs> Josh, you go wait out in the car for a little bit. <laughs> We're going back to hang out with these dudes. <laughs> okay. We'll, we'll be out in about 45 minutes. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we've come, well, we were out with White Snake too, which is, mm. which was awesome. The shows were great, and and talk about a yin and the yang from like bands like the Blossoms and Collective Soul, yeah, from the era that they came from and the way that they approached things yeah. to cats like White Snake that everything was epic and you know. Right. The, well, you know that Hugh Hugh did the artwork on 1987 White Snake and also in Slip of the Tongue. That's his work. So no shit. And he also did uh, the Coverdale Page record too. Oh my god. Yeah. So. See, I'm, I know I've been I've been geeking out, and now I'm geeking out even more. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was a trip working with David. Uh, definitely, um, I didn't know who they were until I met him. And first time I heard him singing was in his hotel room, and it was almost a cappella because he was just singing along with the album track. It was stunning. You toured with White Snake. Would you say two tours? We were with him for like six weeks. Oh, six weeks. So, see if you agree with me. I mean, the, the artwork that Hugh created. I mean. It's so synonymous, especially that 1987 artwork with the band in general, right? I mean, it's obviously the album cover, but to me, it's yeah. people. When, when you say the word White Snake, I think people think of that cover, right? It's slick, and you know what's weird? It's like I feel like we were on tour together because I saw that so much in six, <laughs> six weeks. It was just I yeah. seen, I saw it all the time, you know. So that's that's it's incredible. I mean, wow, it was a, a real treat. The beginning of quite a long, unexpected. You're talking about being in the right place at the right time, Dane. You know, that's been the story of my life. I, I can't argue with the trajectory. I did turn into a workaholic hermit, though. I, that's one of the reasons I survived Hollywood is I was really, I would go to the studio, I'd meet the bands, and I would get back to my studio and get to work. But it wasn't about being in the Hollywood scene for me. It was more just being present. Well, well when you did that, was that like a thing to where you would sit when you were hanging out with the bands? Was that kind of to get get ideas back and forth and seeing kind of what they were looking for? Or were you just catching their vibe? Well, in the case of David, and I've said this before, he had su his voice reminded me of Richard Burton. You know, he had you know, such a deep British voice. He, he was quite, um, for lack of a better term, lordly in his demeanor, his, his diction and his... Yeah. yeah. So I immediately thought about British heraldry, you know, the family crest, you know, the, the coat of arms. And it just became evident to me. And I didn't know that I was, I was going to start off a whole kind of kingdom come, house of lords kind of, you know. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's amazing. Um, that's, well, and <laughs> with that, like he's saying how he's very like, like strong, proper kind of, you know, just, just a straight gentleman. And then he was so nice to us. And when we got on the road with him, he, uh, cause I'm, I'm a total rock jeopardy. Like if they had rock jeopardy, I would watch it all the time. And it, you know, I just want to be on it yeah. and that kind of thing. Chico, however, my drummer, he had no idea about like say credence or cause mm. he grew up in, he, he grew up oh, in wow. Phoenix where, so he grew up on like Corn and NWA and uh, you know uh, heavier bands, uh, metal kind of thing was his. And so when yeah. I, when we started hanging out, 
would, he, you know, that's when we, he really started getting into Zeppelin and Hendrix and, and all this stuff, uh, which is cool for our sound, you know, because he kind of he kind of brings that modern drummer kind of thing. But so yeah, so when we get on the road, which I'm geeking out that we're going on a tour with Whitesnake, <laughs> and he has no idea other than they put a video out with Tawny Katane crawling over the hood of the car. Good video, though. Yeah, that's Great a good video. video. He had yeah. no idea what the hell. And so, of course, we're out on the road, and he's like, uh, well, I'm in the green room, and he walks in. He's like, oh, man, I just met David Coverdale. And I'm like, what? And he's like, yeah, I just ran into him. And so I immediately look out in the hall, and he's not there. And so we go on, and, and Chico runs into him like three more times before I ever meet him. And Chico is like, he's going to come off stage right now. Like, when they get done, because we're standing watching the show. He's like, we'll stand right here, and he'll walk right. He comes right over here. Like, okay, well, we get, we're up there, and w- this is new to this caliber of touring for us, which was just yeah, really awesome. And he, uh, I'm like, oh, shit. I don't have my pass on me. I'm like, I got to get my pass. I said, they're going to freak me out of here. Whoops. And which they, they wouldn't have, but I'm freaking out, and I don't want to be that guy. So he's like, don't leave. And I'm like, I'm gonna, I'd rather be here than get thrown out. So I run to my dressing room and I run back and he's bowled over laughing. He's like, you just missed him. And I'm like, son of a bitch. So this goes on for a few days. And then finally, finally, yes. I'm on the side of the stage and they, they do their bow and they come off and David Coverdale's standing there. And I'm just like, wow, you know, this is, you know, this is David, it's, it's, you know, the Coverdale page, like all this stuff, you know, deep purple to me. And I'm just sitting there like, wow. Yeah. And he's talking to Chico. He's like, Oh, hello, Chico. He's like, how are you mate? And he looks at me and he's like, are you in the band too? And I, it was just an ongoing joke. The rest of the time. Chico and Coverdale are going to get a place together after. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Yeah. He, well, I think Hugh's, Hugh's actually uh, secretly working on that uh, Chico Coverdale release. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. He's been moonlighting. That's right. <laughs> well, this has been really great. Uh, we really appreciate you joining us, Josh. It's been a real treat. Yeah, well, thanks for taking it. This is awesome. You guys are badass. Oh, it's been fun. Well, man, yeah. thanks, for, <laughs> thanks for hanging with us. Any time, yeah, dude. Absolutely. You guys are great. So, uh, yeah, if you need anything else for me, man. Let me know. I'm around. You got it, man. Thank you for joining us. Take care. Nice meeting you guys. Likewise. Yeah, Josh. Take care. All the best. Hey, guys. Cheers, man.